Welcome to America's Top Rebbitons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Lior Tovia Ben Haya Ashna, and also for Rachel Batleya. If you'd like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Haya Hitrick. Rebitson Haya is a Chabad emissary in Istanbul, Turkey. She delivers powerful lectures on a variety of topics in Judaism, and Rebitson Haya's meaningful talks can be found on Chabad.org. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Rebitson Haya? Oh, I think you're frozen. So as mentioned, my name is Chaya Chetrik and I live in Istanbul, Turkey. I am a mother of eight children, Bliyan Hara. And what I do, I think is the same of what we all try to do is bring a little bit of light to our corner of the world, wherever that might be. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And we're going to, we're going to bring some light in today. And I'm very, very excited because today I would like to speak about a very important topic that can be literally life-changing if implemented properly. It's about our power to train ourselves in the way that we view our world, especially, especially when our situation seems negative. The way that we see things has an enormous impact on how we process life emotionally, how we perceive other people and situations, and also how we view the world. So I want to ask you, what is a Torah perspective on how we should position our outlook so that we can actually see reality, the real essence of reality in whatever situation we find ourselves, even if it's a seemingly negative situation? So one of the revolutionary concepts that the Baal Shem Tov, who was the founder of Hasidism, introduced to the world was the idea of Hashkacha Pratis, which means divine providence. Until then, everybody believed Hashem impacts, Hashem influences the world. But the Baal Shem Tov brought in this idea that it's not that Hashem just generally influences what goes on in the world, but Hashem controls every single tiny bit of the minutia of every single day life, which means that leaf that fell, your pen that you're using, the chair that you're sitting on, all these what seem like seamless, meaningless happenings, they are all part of a grand plan and directly influenced by Hashem. Now, having this idea of Hashkacha practice in mind, I could tell you that by divine providence, my son showed me an interesting clip the other day. I know Actually, I don't know in America if it's as common as in Europe, but in Europe, where I live in Istanbul, we have what's called a house cell phone. Nobody really uses local phones. My kids were shocked to hear the other day that we actually have a local telephone number. <laughs> so we have what's called a house cell phone, and it's a communal cell phone that all the kids use and share. And if their friends need to reach them, they all use that same phone. And as you could imagine, there are constantly clips coming into that phone of all these different little videos and stuff like that. So my son tells me the other day that he wants to show me a video. Now he could have shown me any videos. They're constantly getting a slew of interesting stuff on there and stuff that everybody's privy to. Cause like I said, it's a, it's a public phone. And which video did he choose to show me by divine providence? He tells me he wants me to listen and look at this video. The caption of the video was that there's two words on the screen. One of them is brainstorm. The other is green needle. Whichever word you look at, that's the word you're going to hear. So the first time he presses the video, 
and I focus on the word brainstorm. And what do I hear? Brainstorm. He says, now let's do it again. The second time he plays the video, I focus on the word green needle. And sure enough, what do I hear? Green needle. Amazing. The next day, I decide to do a test on myself. I decide I'm going to play back this audio, but I'm not going to look at any words. I want to see what I hear. And of course, I forgot the words from the previous evening. That's one of the gifts that you get when you hit my age. <laughs> and as I'm listening to this audio, all it sounded to me like was frequencies. There were no words to it. It was just like these, these, like, you know, almost like when a microphone is doing playback, or it's squeaking and stuff like that. That's what it sounded like to me because I didn't know what I was supposed to be listening out for. And once my son did this video and I then again tested myself, my brain immediately said to me, you know, Chaya, you know, that interview with Vera that you're having, this is a perfect example. Why? It magnifies how when your brain is trained to think, to hear, to see a certain thing, that's what it does. It depends what you want to focus on. And to take it a step further, not only was the recording itself a great example of you hear what you're trained to, but how it happened, how it came about was also a perfect example. I knew I had this interview with you. Was it in the front of my consciousness the entire time? No, it wasn't. But immediately when something presented itself that could be helpful to it, in my brain, immediately the dots were connected. The drawer opened up and said, hey, you know what? This is something that you could use. This is something that you should be thinking about. So now with that said, we could speak about the Torah perspective on perception. Now, ironic as it's going to sound, reality is we can't always see reality for what reality is. True. However, I know that Torah is a Torah's emis. It's a true Torah, and it's a guidebook of how to live my life. And throughout history, we've had many great rabbis and scholars help us interpret and implement this Torah into a way of living, how we should adapt to our lives to live a Torah lifestyle. Our generation has been gifted with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when he accepted the position of leadership, he began a discourse by saying a pasuk, a verse from Shir Hashirim. It was of uh, Songs of Songs, which was written by King Shlomo, and the verse that he used to begin his discourse was a verse that says, but basi legani achotikala, chosikala, which means I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. And every year subsequently, when the Rebbe would speak on the anniversary of his taking the mantle of leadership, he would begin with this verse and then expound upon it. Now, the story that the Rebbe uses to accept his leadership is a story that is referred to as a relationship, almost a love story, if you will, between Hashem and the Jewish people, Hashem being the groom, the bride being the Jewish people. And how does Hashem refer to this world that we're in? His garden. Wow. Now, this is probably the furthest thing from any of our, of our raiders, how to describe the world. And yet the Rebbe tells us, that this isn't just some beautiful poetry written by Shlomo HaMelech, but this is emes, this is truth, that our world is a garden. We just have to adjust our vision, our senses to tap into it. The outside doesn't change. How we see it changes. 
Now, did you ever see those pictures, ever get those pictures where you're asked, what do you see? Yes. And you only see one image, right? Yes. And then somebody points out to you that second image. Yes. And once they point out that second image to you, you can no longer unsee it. It's so obvious that it's there. So the Reb is telling us, you need to see the real picture over here. The world is a garden. There's greatness. There's holiness all around us. We just have to adjust our vision to see it. And once we do that, it will start becoming more natural for us to perceive and become aware of the good in our day to day. That is so powerful that it really is life changing because, you know, when negative things happen to people and bad things, then there's a whole slew of bad things that could happen to somebody. And we're stuck. We're stuck in the muck, as I like to say, you know, we can't see those beautiful and holy things that you're talking about. We only see that that net darkness and that negativity. But if we can adjust our vision, if like you said, we can see the other picture, the other picture, the beautiful picture, the positive picture, we can literally change the way we perceive the world, how we perceive other people, how we perceive that mucky situation. And all of a sudden, it's not so mucky anymore, you know? Absolutely. Wow. Sometimes easier said than done. Yes. Sometimes requires a little bit more work, but it could get done. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Not an easy thing to do, but yes. Um, so it is said that Hashem, that God is constantly involved in recreating the world every single second. There is nothing other than God and there's nothing outside of God. There is just God. The expression in Hebrew is Ein Od Melvado. There is nothing else but God. God and our world are one. So this brings me to my point. If there's nothing else but God and God is good always, then is anything that ever happens to us really and actually bad? So this is something that we actually say in our prayers every single day. That Hashem in his goodness renews the creation every single day. The fact that God is good, that's an absolute. Your question, though, is a great one. And I can tell you that many Jewish thinkers, philosophers, rabbis who are way more qualified than I am have discussed this at length because it really seems to be a struggle. We live in a world we're told it's a garden, it's godly, it's holy. And yet you look around and it doesn't exactly look that way. So that brings us back to the first point that we raised, which is we have to adjust our vision. But granted, sometimes I just can't make good out of something. It could be, God forbid, a certain tragedy or hardships that occur. And any way I try to cut it, I can't change my perception. I'd only see what I call bad. Yeah. And this makes me think of two points. The first one is just because I can't see it doesn't mean it isn't, which means I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is good and everything he does is good. Yet where I stand now, based on the limits of my human mind, a particular event looks bad. That doesn't change the fact that in reality, it's good. I just can't tap into that reality. It's beyond what my human mind can comprehend. Now, because my human mind can't comprehend how that could in any possible way be good, we refer to it as bad because that's the only way that I could understand it and describe it in a tangible way that my mind could accept it. But I know that if I wasn't in such a filtered state of godliness, I would see things for what they really were. In fact, our sages tell us that 
when Mashiach comes, one of the things that we're going to say to God is, Otcha Hashem be, thank you Hashem for persecuting me. Because it's at that time that we will understand and appreciate the struggle and those things that we refer to as bad having gone through them. And this brings me to my next point where the Rebbe would often bless people that they should have good betov hanira v'hanigl, which means a good in a seen and revealed obvious way. Meaning I know that ultimately everything is good, but I want a good that I could see and I could understand. I don't only want a good that I say it's good because I know that that's what it is, but it's beyond me to see. So we should all really be blessed betov hanira v'hanigl, that everything in our lives should just be good in a good, revealed, and obvious way. Amen. Amen. I am all for that. All revealed goodness all the way, for sure. Um, so, which brings us to our next question. Our happiness in life really depends on how we see the world. Will we see the world with how our eyes perceive the world or how our soul perceives the world? It's an important distinction because what our eyes see is only a very small portion of the picture. It really doesn't tell the whole entire story of what happened. Even if you witnessed an event from start to finish, there is still more to the story than meets our human and very limited eye. The soul knows the truth more deeply, but it is often difficult to access the truth. And people run the risk of falling into a depression when they constantly view life people and events in a negative light. So what practical advice can you give to people so that they don't get caught up in the trap of everything is bad? So the Baal Shem Tov, I said, was the founder of Hasidism in general. He was followed by the Magid of Mezrich. And one day a gentleman comes over to the Magid and says to the Magid, he's struggling with something. He knows that our sages tell us, the same way we are obliged to thank God for good, we have to thank him for the bad, which is one of the reasons why when we unfortunately hear of the passing of someone, immediately the first thing we do is we bless Hashem. We say, bless is a true God. So he says to the Magid, he says, listen, I could understand if you tell me that I have to accept everything that it's from Hashem and ultimately it's for good that I could accept. But how could you tell me that I should react the same to good and bad? How could you tell me I should react equally to them? Right. And so the Maga told him to understand, to have the answer to your question. I need you to travel to my disciple whose name is Reb Zusha from Anatoly. So this man travels to Reb Zusha. And he goes into his home. He's welcomed there graciously. And he doesn't tell him yet the reason why he's there. He just observes Reb Zusha's life. And from being there even a short time, you understood that Reb Zusha did not have an easy life. It was a life of hardship, of tremendous poverty, of medical conditions. There was nothing glorious physically about the life that he was living. And finally, after viewing and observing the life of Rav Zusha for a few moments, for a few days or whatever, however much time it was, he understood, he understood that this man was really a unique man because this man was going on living his life happily and he's burdened by so much trouble. So he understood why his teacher sent him to Rav Zusha. After some time, he says to Reb Zusha, I want to tell you why I came to your home. He's, and he explains to him how the Magid sent to him to get 
the answer to his question through him. And Rabbi Zusha said to him, I don't understand. If you wanted to understand how to bless Hashem for hardships, the same as for good, the Magad should have sent to you to someone who's actually experiencing suffering. Powerful. Now, the Tzemach Tzedek said, Tracht gut good, which means think good and it will be good. Now, the Rebbe explains, what does this mean, think good and it will be good? The Rebbe says that it's this belief, this bitachon, this absolute assurance that Hashem will make things good, that actually creates a conduit. It creates a vessel down here through which to receive Hashem's blessings. It's not that you're, oh, God forbid, going through something tough and, okay, so I'm going to think good to help me get through it. No, but we're telling you, think good and thinking good actually creates positive results. But you're right. The way that we are now is that reality is our godly, holy, knowing souls are clothed in our physical bodies. And it comes with certain limitations. I I should probably say many limitations. One is that what you mentioned is that our soul knows the truth, but it's often difficult to access that truth. Now, I don't know if you ever studied Tanya. Did you ever study Tanya? Yes. Okay, so the Tanya is authored by Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. He's a founder of Chabad Hasidism. You know, I mentioned the Baal Shem Tov, and then I mentioned the Magid. After those first two who represented general Hasidic thought, it then branched out into many different groups of Hasidim. Yes. So the, the, the Baal Hatanya, Rabbi Schneir Zalman, he founded what was called Chabad Hasidism. And he wrote the Tanya, which is groundbreaking on every single letter, level. If you want to know who you are, how you operate, how you should operate, study the Tanya. And once you think you got it, study it again, and you'll realize how much you still haven't grasped yet, right? It's true. Yeah. So the Alta Rebbe, as he's known, the Balatanya, he speaks about this idea of your soul knowing the truth, yet not being able to express itself. Yes. And he mentions a very powerful concept. He says, if you look throughout history, you find time and time again that the Jew would rather die defending the name of Hashem, the name of God, than converting to another religion. Yes. And he asks, why is that? We're not speaking about Jews who led, per se, perfectly pious lives. They were regular Jews, like me and you, who admittedly, at least for myself, we sin sometimes. Yes. So how is it that we're sinning, yet we're willing to give our life for God? He said, isn't stopping from sin an easier thing to do than sacrificing yourself? Right. <laughs> and so the Alter Rebbe teaches over here something very powerful. He says, when push comes to shove, when it comes to the final moment when you have to declare your true identity, your soul, your true identity prevails. And he goes into how to tap into that more, but that's a discussion for another time. So yet we have to train our eyes, if you will, to start seeing reality for what it is. You know, we also know the Alter Rebbe, he in his shul, in his synagogue, he was the one who used to read the Torah portion. And in the Torah, we have a portion called Parshas Kisavo, which is a portion which is filled with what the regular eye perceives as terrible curses that befall us if we don't follow the Torah way and live life as we're supposed to. He used to read that Parsha every week. One year, when it came to Parsha's Kisavo, he wasn't there, so somebody else read the Torah, and his son, who was always present, fainted. When they got his son back, 
They asked him, what happened? How, what's wrong? He said to him, what do you mean what's wrong? Didn't you just hear what they read? They read all these terrible curses in the Torah portion. So they said to, them, to his son, who later became the Mithra Rebbe, they said to him, but this portion was read every single year, yet you never reacted this way. So he said, when my father read this Torah portion, I only heard blessings. Because when the Alter Rebbe would read that Torah portion, he saw the truth and he was able to transmit that. And sometimes that knowledge that is beyond me, but still, even though that knowledge is beyond me, it doesn't change the facts. And you're right. Our picture is very limited. I always like to mention one of my favorite books. It's called Zoom. Did you ever see the book called Zoom? No, I don't know that one. So Zoom is probably the only book that has been translated into every single conceivable language, past, present, and future. And the reason <laughs> for that is, is because it's a picture book. There are no words to this book. Each page is a picture. You look at the picture and in your mind, you come to a conclusion of what the picture represents. And then you turn the page and you realize there's so much more to the story. What you thought was, is really nothing to where it really is. And the knowledge that there's so much more to the story is actually very redeeming. It lets you know that I'm not in control of this story that I don't know. I have this puzzle piece in my hand. Now, it's my choice to decide how I'm going to deal with this knowledge that I have. What am I going to do with it? How do I choose to perceive it? In what way am I going to let it impact my life? And this really impacts, this really affects your day-to-day -day living and quality of life. One day I was speaking to some of my friends here, and we were speaking about what's happening, what's going on. And they were saying how sometimes things don't look the best, don't exactly seem positive. And I gave them a suggestion. I said, how about you start keeping a journal? And every single day, write in that journal three good things that happened to you. And if you know that you have to write every day in a book, three good things, three positive things that happened to you, naturally, what are you going to do the whole day? You're going to be looking out, hey, is this something good that I could write about? And slowly you'll start noticing that organically, you're going to become more aware of wonderful, positive things happening around you. That doesn't suddenly mean that everything's going to become perfect, but it does mean that you're going to start living a happier, healthier life. Well, you'll see the good. And you'll also know it's good. And I have to say that surrounding yourself by happy, positive people also helps. For sure. For sure. It's so, you know, it's so incredible, like our perception of the world and how we have control over that. Like, as you said, we can look out for all the positive and those good things that, that come about. We're, we're consciously, consciously looking for the positive, looking for the good, looking for the happy. We completely reframe our world. And I think once we look at, at our world through a positive lens, we attract the revealed good. We attract that positivity. And even if unpleasant events do happen to us as they, you know, it's life, this, you know, things happen, we're able to deal with them with much more compassion, with much more positivity and with much more love. I think it's such a valuable tool to have the ability to reframe. But now it's time for an inspiring and uplifting anecdote. My favorite, favorite part of an interview. <laughs> I often ask my guests to share inspirational stories based on the topics that we discussed. So as a Chabad emissary in Istanbul, Turkey, you must meet so many interesting people. Can you please share with us a story or two about how someone you know took a negative situation, perceived it in a positive way, and thereby changed their whole outlook on the situation? 
So I'll start with a story, which I once read that had a great impact on me. Didn't happen to me. Okay. I read this story about this little boy who had this habit of tapping and you could imagine it could get really, really annoying. Yeah. It annoyed his teachers. <laughs> it annoyed his classmates. And his teachers tried all different things. You know, they would tell him to sit on his hands and put his hands behind his back. Nothing they would do would help. Now, one day the teacher tells this little boy, I want to talk to you. Stay back after class. Now, naturally, what do you think is going on in that kid's mind? Right. He's going to be getting in trouble. Yet again, he's going to be put, get into trouble. Like, you know, you, this can't go on like this. You won't be able to be part of our class if you continue tapping. It's just annoying to everyone. Nobody could concentrate, etc. And he stays back after class. And the teacher says to him, did you ever think of playing drums? And he gives this little boy a set of drumsticks. And he says, I don't think you're a problem. I think you're a drummer. Interesting. Now, this little boy grows up. And he becomes who's known as Clint Pulver. You ever heard of him? Clint Pulver is a world-renowned drummer. And he's a motivational speaker and a very powerful, uh, obvious man in the motivational world, etc. Wow. Now think about what his teacher did over there. This little boy's incessant need to tap, that didn't change. But when the, when the perception of him changed, that changed everything else. Now think about if we could infiltrate this idea into our day-to-day living by being conscious about it, I think it would change most of our relationships, our parenting, our for sure ourselves. Yes. If you could look at things not as a problem, but as a way that it could be used for something positive, it really would change everything. Now, to think of a personal story, I mean, I'll go back to one that I, I know is already maybe a little bit of an older story, if it will, because sometimes older stories are easier to see the positive results of. You you see long-term what had happened. So I'll go back to a story that happened a little bit, a little while back, which with a friend of mine, and we were sitting and talking, and she was asking me if I got to know certain mothers in a class. And I said to her that I didn't. And she asked me why I said, because generally the time that the mothers get to socialize is during birthday parties and birthday parties are always on Shabbos there. So she was a little bit uncomfortable. And she says to me, you know, it's my son's birthday and I'm actually making him a birthday party and it's on Shabbos, but next year I won't do that next year. I'll make sure to do it on a Sunday, a day that you could come. Perfect. She sends me a message a couple of days later and she says, hi, I just wanted you to know that my son is under the weather. He's not feeling well. And I took it as a sign from God that if he's already not feeling well and I have to put off his birthday, I might as well not do it on Shabbos and do it on a weekday. Wow. Now, fast forward, the family is completely Shomer Shabbos. The family is completely kosher. The family gives their kids a Jewish education. Their kids go to... Jewish camps, they're a regular, committed, happy Jewish family from a child being sick and not being able to have a birthday party on Shabbos. So that's a personal story that happened to me. And I know it, it sounds easy to say this, but even in, in um, you know, nobody should ever be sick, God forbid, and nobody should ever have hardships. But finding out the sickness means that now you could start the healing. Exactly. Yes. 
you know, to be oblivious and in the dark about it, that's not positive. True. Exactly. You have to open your eyes. You have to see the reality, see the situation, learn and grow. It's, it's you true. Know, like pain, like pain. I always like, you know, I don't wish pain on anyone, God forbid. but in situations where the situation is painful, I hope that the person could feel it because then it, then it tells them there's something wrong. It's so, so true. Yeah, it's such a sign. Um, I know I was once listening to Rabbits and, sh- and she said, you know, if there's a, if there's pain or if there's struggle, that's a sign like on like a, on a treasure map. X marks the spot. Dig here. You know, that's where you have to investigate. It tells you that something has to change. Something exactly. Has to happen. And yes. while we don't wish it upon anybody and I wish everybody had these easy lives where we didn't have to go through struggle for growth and it all came so easily and wonderfully. But in the cases where God forbid, it's not the case, we should look at this hardship as something good as, you know, some like uh, a catalyst, if you will, to propel us even to greater and further heights. And like we always say out of the greatest, out of darkness comes the greatest light. A hundred percent. Hundred percent, and I really also uh, want to say about the story about the the little boy who was a drummer. It's so interesting because there are so many. I'm sure so many mothers can relate. You know, their kids are in school and they get the calls from the teachers and from the principals. And if somebody just saw, like, if a teacher or a, 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 an aide or a social worker or somebody who was in the classroom in the school saw this kid and perceived them differently in a positive light, or here's a kid who does X, Y, and Z, or here's a kid who struggles with X, Y, and Z and channels it in a different direction. You could have such a beautiful and positive outcome, just like the boy who, t- who turned into a drummer. I mean, he was tapping. Think about, yeah, think about kids that are, are always have to be in control or, or are, you know, put them in a position of leadership. Exactly. I was you just have thinking. to learn how to channel it. And, you know, thinking about, I mean, look what's going on, like, again, to what we said, like, you know, of, out of challenge. I mean, we don't need to look very far right now to what's going on in the world. Yes. And why that what why this conflict has to happen is beyond me is beyond you. Uh, do I think it would be better if it didn't happen? My limited human brain tells me yes. And there's a lot of sad things happening now, the senseless loss of life. And I can't make explanation for it. I can't make excuses for it. What I could see is the people that are standing behind the rabbis that are standing strong with their communities and taking care of them and showing them how no Jew will be left behind. And we look at each other as family. We don't, we worry about each other like family and we will do everything in our power to take care of each other and be there for each other worldwide in any way that we can. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I'm so inspired by this. And I, I'm, I personally, I'm going to take the time to change my outlook and to change my perception um, on the world and on different situations, because I struggle with this personally, you know, as well. We all do. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Rebbits and Haya, for joining us on America's Top Rebbitsons. We really enjoyed having you on the show and may all the learning we did today be for Rafua Shalema, for Lior Tovia Ben Haya Ashna, and also for Rahal Batleya. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.